Welcome back to the Freedom Warrior Podcast. My name is Derek, as always, hasn't changed. That's how I identify, damn it. Uh, Today, is the race card play too much? And then, the origins of progressivism. Where did it all start? And lastly, I need another day of attacking the toxic masculinity nonsense. I have more to say on that subject, so before I get to that, let's dive right in. The race card was played against a black man on a uh, radio program. A CNN analyst joined the program and immediately assumed the the race of a guy, a gentleman last name Webb, I believe, and that's just a, a tactic that you have to be prepared for these days. Um, I mean, to give you, this is just to give you an idea of how easily it comes to leftist activists to smear people's character. Look no f- further than this story. Uh, the fact that, you know, she went there, like, quote-unquote, went there with the race card without knowing one scintilla about the man tells you pretty much all you need to know about the progressive movement in terms of its adherence to facts and reality. They have these responses preloaded to discredit the character of their opponent and thus their argument. And it works if if you happen to fall under the race that they are accusing you of, such as being white. But in this case, it happened to be a black man who was the conservative, um, which they'll have their own insults for them uh, as well. But this reminds me of an old Chappelle show skit you may remember. It was uh, just in reverse, but in the skit... Uh, there was a black-white supremacist. He was blind, so he didn't know that he was black. And I just think it's it's hilarious, because in this case, you have... This is possibly one of the best stories of the year that already, that you have a... What I believe is a black woman, but either way, a CNN analyst who goes on a radio program and immediately attacks the guy as having some kind of white privilege. And he lets her go down the, the, the path a little bit before he corrects her. And how is that? That that is comedy gold right there. That's where we're at in 2019, 18, whatever. Go back even a few years. That's where we're at now. Um, you know, it's it, she knew exactly zero about this guy, yet she immediately leaned in the direction of racial intersectional identity politics. You know, race hustling, and that's a tactic that is really despicable. It it. It has further divided this country. Uh, It it happened all the time over the last eight years, uh, particularly. Uh, Obama would do it frequently, but certainly the the more radical uh, race hustlers on on the left were guilty of this for decades. Uh, This isn't something new. Um, But I, I will tell you this. I would rather eat one of those dry as hell, 45 day old, display items in the window uh at starbucks you know like the little uh red velvet cake or the little cupcake things they have i'd rather eat one of those than bite into what progressives are selling with identity politics it would be far tastier uh so next up progressives the beginning where did it all start as i alluded to yesterday woodrow wilson had a lot to do with it Uh, If you want to know what a modern progressive believes in, 
the president from 100 years ago is the guy to go, you know, look at. Because that's, that's where it all started. And he, be- he believed many of the exact things that progressives today believe. And you see it. Uh, you know, he believed in it, uh, that individualism and the Constitution were outdated. Wilson was the first president who was critical of the Constitution. I mean, it's hard to find any records of any pr- prior presidents to him who were vocal about criticizing the Constitution itself. So that all started, that snowball, the snowball of, you know, we don't really need the Second Amendment, First Amendment, eh, you know, um, we don't really need to adhere to the Constitution. We can kind of uh, just use the Supreme Court to get what we want. That, that all started back then with uh, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, in a famous speech in 1912, he said that our, our government was too mechanical, and not organic, you know, with the three branches and the checks and balances, he said those were outdated. And in this new era of progress, it needs to be more organic and living, which is where you get the living constitution from these days with, with all uh, progressive types, you know, even the judges, even, you know, the, the judges who are open about their positions on this, they think of it as a living constitution. Well, that all started with Woodrow Wilson, uh, you know, back there in 1912. And, and prior. Um, I'm sure he held those views prior because I'm going to get into even some dates prior to 1912 and show you what kinds of things he introduced that you may not know. Uh, but more uh, going f- forward, though, progressivism didn't make much progress until later in the 1900s, particularly in terms of the regulatory uh, state or regulatory policy. Most of their wins were handed down by the Supreme Court. Uh, for example... NBC, yes, that NBC, the National Broadcasting Company, versus the United States in 1943 was a case where the NBC argued against the regulatory state. Imagine for a second the irony in that, that you have a company today that is probably the most progressive uh, major news outlet out there. Um, but back in 1943, they weren't such a fan of the regulatory state. They, uh, they lost, and... In that case, it was, I believe, the FCC um, who was arguing uh, basically regulatory uh, law or policy, and and the Supreme Court sided in favor of the United States in that case, which meant increase of regulations, increase of um, the reach of the government. And then later in 1984, I mean much later, obviously, uh, the Supreme Court explicitly proclaimed rules for Chevron deference giving Congress the power to give the bureaucracy a few vague instructions and then leave the creation of law up to the bureaucrats. So, uh, you know, this is all perfectly constitutional as long as we ignore all constitutional jurisprudence prior to the 1930s, which is getting back into the Wilson era. Uh, So Wilson is also, and this is where progressives are going to love him, he is basically the founder of, or the father of the income tax in America. In 1909, the 16th Amendment passed. People on the Republican side, the establishment Republicans, didn't like this. They were not in favor of taxation, okay? Uh, they, they definitely opposed this, uh, this amendment at the time. So once it passed, though, 
1913, just four years later, Wilson signed the Revenue Act of 1913, named appropriately given the year, I suppose. But in this act, it, what it did was lower tariffs, which is where most of the revenue generation uh, for the federal government was taking place. It was through through tariffs at the time. But it lowered the tariffs and made way for the income tax. So at that, at that time, in 1913, the income tax, the federal income tax, the one that when you look at your paycheck today and you see one third of your money is gone or a quarter of your money is gone, uh, that all started back here with the 1913 Revenue Act that Woodrow Wilson passed. A, the, the first real known progressive president and, and uh, hater of the Constitution. So it's just, I find it wild to think that the very first progressive, the very first critic of the Constitution was also the person who implemented the income tax. So how fitting, right? Um, so before this progressive, most taxes, uh, like I said, came from tariffs. But fast forward to today, where you have elected Democrats pushing for a 70% taxation in the top uh, tax bracket, it, that all started. It all snowballed. I mean, like that's that's the nature of progressivism is that it always snowballs. That's why that's why I'm so opposed to it because not even even if I was in favor of it for for in the now, what you advocate for in the now, in 10 years isn't going to be what you even have. It's going to be that to like the nth degree which is the danger of of uh incrementalism and and progressivism to begin with uh, so it's worth uh let's see what was i gonna say here that well i mentioned the uh, republicans opposed it so it's worth it's worth noting that that during the time even at the very origins of the implementation of taxation at the federal level republicans did not uh they were not in favor of it and that, that dates back to, you know, the, the they are the party of Lincoln. I mean, the Republicans are the party of Lincoln. They were anti-slavery. They were anti-taxes and anti-government overreach. And they've never deviated from that. Their, their values still stand today. Um, the implementation of said values or the protection of said values have changed. But um, moving on, uh, Wilson believed the Constitution should mean whatever the hell we think it should mean today. That's basically his um, thoughts in a nutshell. And that's basically the thoughts of modern progressives in a nutshell as well. Uh, So after reading more about Wilson, I will say this uh, on an optimistic note. The Wilson era of progressivism and, you know, what he launched, I'm, I'm shocked at this point, 100 years later, that we aren't in a more oppressive state of government than we are. And we can thank the, you know, checks and balances that he that he did not uh, really enjoy for that. Uh, he, you know, at that, during his time, Wilson viewed Congress as too powerful and the president as too weak. Uh, and that's kind of changed today. The president's a little more powerful and Congress is fairly weak. Uh, but either way, uh, his ideas, you know, continue on. Uh, and... I bring it forward to today with uh, Beto O'Rourke and, you know, he has just recently been quoted as saying, you know, he wonders if values from 230 years ago applied today. And that's exactly the the stance of Woodrow Wilson 100 years ago. So, you know, 
I actually think we should refer to these progressives as traditionalists because they're adhering to 100-year-old philosophy, uh, progressive philosophy. I mean, they're they're traditional just in their own way. Uh, so I'll, I'll I'll just cut it off there. Um, moving forward, I, I just want to touch on the toxic masculinity. Uh, one last thing here. This is this is hilarious and it's and it's bothering me. It's irritating, but funny. I, I just I, I've read a lot more responses to the the Gillette ad. Um, some of them are taking shots at conservatives, saying, you know, oh, you just don't uh, you just aren't a fan of of stopping rape and, and abuse and, and these things. How can you not be on board with that? Are you sure that's the stance you want conservatives to take? Okay, that's my my rebuttal to that would be that that's framing it entirely wrong because that's not what toxic masculinity is, and they know it. Um, you know, many of the articles smeared conservatives merely trying to get, you know, that saying that conservatives are just fearful of of uh, trying to to stop these bad behaviors, and I mean not just bad behaviors but crimes. But what what the leftists are or the social justice warrior types are trying to get people to do, not just conservatives, but everybody, moderates, everybody, they're trying to get them to change behavior uh, away from just criminal acts. They're trying to get them to change behavior entirely. Uh, so I did go back and, and do a little digging, and this you'll be thankful. If you happen to be more right-leaning, you're going to be thankful that I did the digging on this and you didn't have to uh, read the article, but I went to Daily Beast and read uh, read an article. I, I wanted to ensure that the timestamp on this article was prior to the Gillette ad because I feel like people will reframe the argument after this ad. So I went back, found one for maybe a couple few months ago, and this is what I found relating to toxic masculinity and what uh, the Daily Beast basically summarized it uh, through this article. They said that men need to be re-educated on how to be a real man, you know, not not from their father, not not from their father or any family member, but from their, you know, these virtue signaling, sanctimonious uh, activists. They believe that if men aren't raping somebody, then they they think that men think I should say that that if they aren't raping someone, they they must be a good man. Um, well, I I think most men in response to that they think they're a good man or a decent man not just because they don't rape people I, i'd say i'd say that's a pretty wild uh statement uh to say the least and then they went on to say that a football player saying you play like a girl to a teammate for example that 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 is an example of toxic masculinity because if you're saying it's not accurate at all they it couldn't possibly be that that's just an accurate statement you know, a linebacker, you know, goes to hit a, a, a running back and he, you know, hits him kind of a little wimpy, like he doesn't really lean into the hit. Like that, That what What do you think hitting like a girl would be? It would be basically getting trucked by the running back. That would be what would happen if you put a girl out there as a linebacker or as a running back. I mean, she would get destroyed. So, yes, it's relevant. It makes sense. It's not sexist. It's just a fact. It's the same reason why it's not a 
a, a sexist statement to say that women have puny arms uh, when it comes to throwing a fastball pitch compared to men. The world record, I always like to use this example, the world record for men uh, is 105, over 105 miles an hour for a fastball pitch, overhand fastball pitch. And the world record for women is 69 miles an hour. That is a spectacular difference in arm strength. And I can't blame it. It's reality. That's to a conservative or a moderate or basically just not a social justice warrior type. That's just common sense. But anyway, back to their article. Um, they also said that mainly conservatives and religious types are the ones who reject the premise of toxic masculinity. Uh, they're probably right there. I mean, <laughs> but here's the thing. They're too narrow. I think I think moderates reject toxic masculinity. My, my wife rejects toxic masculinity, and she's a liberal. She considers herself progressive and she rejects this dumb stuff so i know it's not just conservatives um but that's that's how they're framing it and that's that's what happens when you get into echo chambers you know on the left or right but definitely here in this case on the left on the daily beast you have an author who probably hasn't had to even debate with a conservative ever in their life even once um, in any real degree. And if they did, they probably just tried the old CNN analyst, uh, you know, white privilege trick to try and get out of the debate. But, you know, here we are. They just they just assume that you're, a, if you oppose this uh, framing and all of the, you know, prescriptions that they would wish to uh, apply here, um, then, then you must be some kind of uh, radical uh, religious right-winger type, which brings me to my final point they said that jesus wants you to be a better person so you know accept the progressive activist activist re-education and you'll be a better man like jesus wants you to be uh so that that is where we're at with with the daily beast and what they believe toxic masculinity is which is a far cry from what a lot of the articles today were saying like i said they were just trying to frame it that oh you you're not uh in favor of protecting victims from rape and harassment geez what kind of monster are you toxic masculinity you, you're in favor of that raping and and abuse no this is what the this is what leftist activists think toxic masculinity is all the things i just said not the rape thing yes that that's included but that's like the most extreme part of it they think they think toxic masculinity is saying you hit like a girl on the football field among a bunch of jocks who are playing football. They think that's toxic masculinity, and that needs to stop. And you need to be reeducated, you chump. That's what they think. Um, so, you know, if it, it's just really a a sore subject with me because it's just it's this sanctimonious tone that is so common across the board with the left. Um, they have a tendency to preach to you. They have all of this virtue. They can do no wrong. They couldn't possibly be off on anything. And you need to be re-educated. I mean, that, it, I couldn't think of a more condescending uh, tone or statement for um, you know, entering a conversation with somebody. Basically, you suck and I need to change you. Like, <laughs> imagine, imagine that. You know, you suck. Now hear me out. So, uh, 
moving forward, uh, just one quick little uh, piece on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the uh, wonder child of the progressive socialist Democrat Party. Um, she she is obviously in the news constantly. She's a pretty high volume tweeter and troller on the internet and uh, not such a high IQ, I don't think. But anyways, uh, my response to her with her uh, tax policies, I just want to say this. Soaking the wealthy for all their money will barely serve as a down payment for even a single progressive social program, let alone pay for the program entirely, let alone pay for multiple pipe dreams. If you have a household and you make $50,000 a year and you have $50,000 in credit card debt while only while uh, continuing to go shopping for things, again, 50,000 income, 50,000 in debt, and then you're going and buying a Ferrari at $250,000, which would be like free college, or you're going, and then you also go buy a million dollar house, which is like free healthcare. And then you go buy a rare piece of artwork at 2 million, which is like basic income. I mean, if you're on a $50,000 a year revenue, in revenue, in income, you are not going to be able to afford even one of those things, free college, free healthcare, basic income, any of these pipe dreams. And at least in this extreme analogy, there would be, you know, equity and liquidity to the purchases. Meaning if you were completely up, uh, if you were completely up, you know what, Creek, um, you would be in, in okay shape still because you would able, be able to A, uh, you know, do bankruptcy and you would also be able to get rid of these uh, assets, you know, the house, the painting, and the car. As long as you sold them relatively soon, you wouldn't even really lose that much money. In the case of the federal government, in the case of the progressive government or the socialist government, uh, the money would be pissed away into all these programs never to be seen again. It would be used. The money would be absorbed and used in these programs. So it's not like a item that that it has liquidity, it would just be gone or any equity. It's just gone. I firmly believe that modern Democrats, at least the ones who fall for the Bernie and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez rhetoric, would happily vote in Fidel Castro if he were on the ticket. I, I think they would. I think they would happily do it aggressively. I think they would get out and vote for him. I think it would, they would have a lot of enthusiasm for it. They genuinely believe these ideas are good for the people, even with the smoldering heap of garbage socialist societies have turned into. Uh, So with that said, now it's time for some Freedom Warrior quotes and facts of the day. I was going to do quotes, but I'm going to add facts too, because, you know, facts are important. I'll start with the fact of the day, and that is that of the 40... 4-0, 40 signers of the Constitution, 23 helped fight for our nation's independence. I think that says a lot about these men. I mean, think about that. 
over half of the people who signed the Constitution had a personal stake in fighting for our independence. Uh, I can't say that's the, the same for a man like Beto O'Rourke, who is so uh, happy to just throw away and, and piss on the Constitution. Probably never served a day of his life. Up, oh, he didn't. Yeah, he did not serve. I can confirm that. And the same is true with a man like Bernie Sanders. The same is true for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. A lot of these folks have no perspective. And that's not to say... I don't want to say no perspective, but I'm saying they don't have the same perspective as someone who has served. And I'm not saying it's mandatory. I'm not saying it's mandatory to have uh, served your country, to have an opinion. But it does say a lot about the people who did, uh, you know, serve their country and fight for our uh, independence and then sign our Constitution. Now, if you aren't out radically trying to completely disrupt and you know, turn the country upside down to be a socialist regime rather than a capitalist uh, free market regime where everybody has individual rights and economic opportunity and their own, you know, autonomy and independence. Um, if you're out trying to disrupt that, then, you know, the onus is on you. You, you actually have no perspective because you, ha- you haven't served. You aren't, you're out trying to completely undo everything and you haven't fought and, and shed an ounce of blood for any of this and the people before you, you know, have got to be ashamed looking at what's going on. And I'm not talking just the founding fathers rolling in their grave. I'm talking about the, the men and women who've served and, and fought for freedom even as recently as, you know, this past year. Or, uh, you know, prior to 9-11 or in, in, you know, World War II and before. It's There's just so much blood that has been shed for our freedom that uh, it's, it's really a shame to see so many people, you know, happily throwing it away happily throwing it away um now to get into the uh, few quotes uh i've got a couple just for myself today uh not toot my own horn i just think it's a decent message you can be the judge but uh conservatives are ineffective at protecting their values leftists are ineffective at adhering to values in other words, they don't really have values at all. They just kind of, whatever is feasible in the moment, if they can take an inch, they'll take the inch. And that, you know, if they can't get an inch this year, they'll do it next year. Um, you know, you ask them what their stance is on gay marriage last, you know, 10 years ago. It's completely different from their stance on it this year. Um, they don't really have a lot of, you know, values they adhere to other than the underlying philosophy, like I said, with Woodrow Wilson. Um, Conservatives are bad at protecting their values because otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation as as much, you know, about, uh, you know, the slippery slope of progressivism taking hold. Um, And then next quote would be, fascists seek power and control. And that's, this is, by the way, a common uh, accusation to people like President Trump or or their, his supporters that they're fascists, right? So fascists seek power and control. Let's look at what left the left wants to control. They want to control your guns, your money, and or labor. They're the same or similar. Uh, your health care. They want to control your business. They want to control your education. They want to control your vocabulary and your mind. They want your property and land. 
and they want to control your opinions. I guess that goes with mine, but I mean, I could go on still. So who again are the fascists? I know I'm not trying to control anyone's money, their healthcare, their business, their education, their vocabulary, their property. I'm not trying to control any of those things. I would rather leave everybody the heck alone. Just leave everybody alone. That's why I'm saying all of this fight was brought to, you know, conservatives. It wasn't the other way around. They brought this fight to us. Fundamentally change America. That's them. They're the ones trying to fundamentally change it. We're on defense. If this were a sporting match, football, soccer, hockey, basketball, whatever, conservatives, moderates, you know, they're on defense right now. And they've been on defense for a long, a long time. And finally, you know, they we threw Trump out there, got back on offense a little bit. Uh, I guess defense through offense with him. But uh, last few quotes. Now get back to some founding fathers. Uh, this is John Adams. You can throw money into. Well, I'm sorry. This is not John Adams. One more quote of mine. That's definitely not John Adams. Uh, you can throw money into the fountain at the shopping mall. It doesn't mean your dreams will come true. But in the case of socialism, you may find it more cost-effective to throw your money into that fountain. Um, you know, because your money is going to get blown anyway. And at least in the fountain, you know, you can you can dream that you have a, you know, uh, your wish will come true, and it only costs you a quarter. <laughs> so um, now for John Adams, all men would be tyrants if they could. And this goes back to the checks and balances that Woodrow Wilson you know, despised. Of course, all men would be tyrants, or I think that it's human nature to be a little tyrannical. That's why you need to have checks and balances. You can't even have it be a possibility for tyranny to rise up. You have to have the checks and balances. And then lastly, from John Adams, last quote of the day, we see every day that our imaginations are so strong and our reasons so weak the charms of wealth and power are so enchanting, and the belief of future punishments, Satan, so faint, that men find ways to persuade themselves, to believe any absurdity, to submit to any prostitution, rather than forego their wishes and desires. So, of course, this is, uh, this is completely true. Uh, everybody is tantalized by the immediate by the moment that's why a lot of progressive policies are so effective you know uh the ideas the imagination of utopia you know of making society better it's so crystal clear to them in their brains and it's just so charming the the charms of wealth and power uh that they don't really see any downside to it because they feel they could adjust to, you know, any any obstacles they face, any moral obstacles or anything like that, because they think they're moral people. I mean, they think that they are not just moral people, that they are morally, like, the center of all morality. They don't think they're capable of being bad people, because progressivism, the ideology of progressivism, is such a sanctimonious ideology and that's why it's dangerous. I mean, that the road to hell is paved with uh, good intentions. So there you are. Uh, thank you for tuning in. 
uh, ladies and or gentlemen and or any of the other 50 genders that I believe Facebook allows you to select these days. Uh, I appreciate all of you. My name is Derek. This is the Freedom Warrior Podcast. Enjoy your freedom.